This is Thought and Leaders. Hello, 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 and welcome again to another global podcast from Thought and Leaders. As you know, I scour this wonderful planet of ours to speak to some of the most incisive uh, and inspirational thought leaders from around the world. And this week is absolutely no exception whatsoever. So this week we have got with us Fleur Hassan Nahum. Hello, Fleur. Hi, lovely being here. Lovely to have you here. Now, it's a special week because we're coming up to Rosh Hashanah, of course, uh, which is the Jewish New Year. Yes. Tell us a little bit for the listeners out there about who you are and stuff like that. Uh, who am I? Wow, that's a big question. Uh, I was uh, brought up and raised in Gibraltar, studied law in London, worked in nonprofit for a long time. So I've been in city council now for four years. You are actually the deputy mayor of Jerusalem, aren't you? Yes. Uh, wanted to speak to you, Fleur, this week because Israel is going to be going into a second lockdown. Yeah. What's happened? Well, what's happened, I think, is a combination of politics and people's pigheadedness. I'll tell you why politics. Uh, about a month and a half ago, where the government appointment, a Corona Tsar, for all intents and purposes, called Gamzu. And he came up with a plan that would segregate, uh, maybe that's the wrong word, that would identify which communities were very high in uh, corona and impose partial restrictions and partial shutdowns on those communities. Of course, th- these two communities are the most traditional communities of the country, the communities that have the largest families, the communities that are unfortunately poorer communities, like the Arab community and the ultra-Orthodox, the Haredi community. So, you know, even though they're very, very different, they share a lot of similarities. And that is that their lives are based very much around tradition. We didn't do a good enough job in getting through to these communities about the importance of keeping to the restrictions. A, B, we didn't enforce the law properly and the recommendations properly. So we saw in the whole summer people having weddings mm-hmm. in some Arab communities, people jumping from wedding to wedding, one night seeing 2,000 people's are harading with 3,000 people wedding in one room with no masks. Mm-hmm. And so what, we, what we've seen is a steep rise when we were doing so well. The first wave I thought we managed beautifully. And the second wave, we've basically thrown it all away. And the reason why I say politics is that because the ultra-Orthodox community is such an important, pivotal part of the government, so they, was kind of, they were kind of holding the government over the head of the prime minister and not letting him allow Gamzu to implement his uh, partial lockdown strategy. And that's basically the story. And now we're all having to suffer. So it's collective punishment for the fact that certain communities were just completely unbridled. A couple of questions that that brings up, Fleur. Number one, let's take the Haredi community. Yeah. I mean, these are very intelligent people. Yeah. Why couldn't they listen to very simple rules in terms of keeping a distance, mask, and, and so on and so forth? Why do you think they couldn't listen to that? Because they only listen to their leaders. You understand? They have no, these people have no internet, no Facebook, no news. Okay. So whatever news or instructions they get or any knowledge they get, it's either from like the yeshiva or their rabbi. 
Now, certain rabbis have been great. Certain rabbis have come out and they've said this is pikuach nefesh, this is saving a life. You can't, you know, you can't gather, you have to wear a mask, it's saving a life, saving a life. And other leaders have been like, oh, God will protect us. Starting Torah, even if it's in a room of 500 people, is more important. God's going to protect us, which of course sends the wrong message to, to people who are already completely subservient to this kind of higher will. And that's the problem, really. Mm. In Jerusalem, Yerushalayim, in Mesherim, they have, as you approach Mesherim, and they've had it for many years now, notice boards where a rabbi would actually give instruction or give a, an announcement. That's how they communicate. As the deputy mayor of Jerusalem, why couldn't you get those messages on those boards? Well, it's funny you ask that question. At the beginning of the whole thing, we did exactly that as a private initiative, actually. I actually gave them the idea. I said, this is the way that they communicate. Why don't we just put something scandalous like murder on one of these things? They need those kind of big terms. Uh, and we did it, but I'm not sure it was, I don't know, it, it was enough. We worked with their rabbis. The mayor spoke to their rabbis. There's a lot, but you, there's always the nutcases who are not going to listen. And the, every nutcase in that community has a following, and that's a problem. And that's them. The Arabs, I think we didn't do a good enough job explaining it to them. One of the biggest problems that Boris Johnson has been having is yeah. simplifying the message so that people get it. So I do understand what you're saying in terms of the different communities not getting the message. Could you have made it simpler? Listen, simpler than murder. Don't murder your neighbor by not wearing a mask. And by not keeping... How much simpler could it <laughs> As a brand, man. And I've I, I got to tell you, it's it's a pretty powerful brand. Exactly. I'm a, listen, I'm a communications person as well. Yeah. <laughs> I think that maybe we didn't do enough material in Arabic. But again, I, I don't know. I don't know. I, I don't blame them fully because at the end of the day, they are who they are. And, they're, they're, you know, I blame their leaders, if anything. But I also blame us for not making, I don't like to say simpler message. I like to say, a message has to be accessible to its audience. Yeah. And we obviously didn't make the message accessible to these audiences. Mm. So here's a question then, Fleur. I know that there has been for a long time a derision and division between various parts of the Israeli community. Yeah. So with the fact that you're having to go into another lockdown – do you think that the people who aren't so religious are going to take umbrage to all of this? Yeah, listen, you have to remember that the people who, uh, who you are talking about taking umbrage are the people who've been 10,000 people demonstrating every Saturday night in front of the Prime Minister's house. We've been watching from the UK. You know? So, so what? That, that, so this is what the religious people say, and I understand them. They're saying, oh, we can't go to a big synagogue or study together or go to a wedding but this law, they can demonstrate because that's a democratic right. There is something to that. Mm. So do you think that this Rosh Hashanah, as we're coming up to the Jewish New Year, that with all these demos that have been set a precedent now, that there might be trouble coming up because of this lockdown now with people taking umbrage? Well, I think that the business people are very upset and, and they have, you know, with justification. I think small business owners, shopkeepers, I, there's talk of, of a rebellion. In other words, we're going to open. It's a three-week shutdown. It's horrible. People can't work. For example, my husband's a dentist. 
He's not supposed to open his clinic for three weeks. He won't if he's not, you know. We're very lucky to be in professions that just continued online. And we can do these Zooms. Mm. But people who have small businesses, hotels, tour guides, I suffer with them because, right. because I have enormous empathy for what they're going through. It's really hard. Yeah. I was really confused because I was looking at what the Israeli government has pushed out in terms of what the prohibitions are in terms of people praying. Because as we've been saying, it is Rosh Hashanah, the Jewish New Year. They're allowing people up to 10 people. But yet, if you've got a structure, it says here, 500 square meters with five entrances, then you can have, and it gets really complex, Fleur, it gets 12 capsules of 10 people. It goes on and on and on. And then at one point, it starts saying that you can have up to 120 people. This is something that is, you know, going on around the world. You're getting governments that are saying, do this, but don't do that, but don't do that, but do this. And people are just really confused of what on earth they can do. And I think confusion leads to lack of any faith in the decision makers. And this is where you're going to get the rebellions because it makes no sense to people. I'm going to have a wedding with 100 people in five different capsules, but you can have it in a short. Right. There seems to be no consistency. That's the problem. Or at least no visible consistency. Right. I don't know. It's Why are the rules so complicated? But Fleur, you're a politician, so I'm asking you, why is it so complicated? They've obviously been discussed with the health ministry. Well, yeah. I mean, these are the rules which are, I've got them in front of me. These rules make sense to them. So are you honestly saying that? So are you honestly saying that as long as it's some, something that makes sense to those who wrote it, it doesn't matter about those who have to follow it. No, I'm I, I'm saying something different. I'm saying I think that the people who are the people who are doctors and epidemiologists and all the people who are actually professionals, you know, understand something about vi- viruses, know what they're doing. Yeah, and then. It gets to the politician decision makers. Got it, yeah. Where they have a ton of extra interests involved, including the economic health of the country. Right. And so then they start to make little variations and they start to change things around. And that's what starts to get confusing. Mm. And then there's, there's just things don't make sense to people. I look, I think that it makes sense that being outdoors is better than being indoors. That makes sense to me. It makes sense to me right. that if you gather, you should be able to gather more people outdoors than indoors. That makes sense to me. Right. The capsules, I don't know. I mean, honestly, I, I don't know. Fair enough. I, we had a concert in City Hall out, outdoors and it was in capsules. Everybody was so disciplined. It was capsules of 10 and it was very nice. And then at the end of it, people were asked to leave not together in capsules of 10. Mm. And then you get to Ben-Gurion Airport. I traveled and I, I, I was in London. And I got home and, and you've got the red countries and the green countries, right? There's supposed to be some semblance of that. The green countries are doing better. The red countries are bad. So chances are the people with corona are coming from the red countries. And then they put us all together in the same line. So what's the point? Of having green countries and red countries, we're all queuing in the same queue. It seems so stupid. <laughs> and that is what seems to be something again, which is happening around the world. You're getting these bureaucrats who are saying, "Do this, do that," and then it's at the very last second, someone at the someone at the front end is saying, "Oh, put them all in the same line." Exactly. 
Exactly. It's- so what are you, but you're, but again, Fleur, you're a politician. You're, you are the deputy mayor of the, the capital. So what are you going to do? It's not trickling down. It's not trickling down. From an economic point of view, has the Israeli government been helping businesses because they've had to lose so much business? And now with this extended second lockdown, no less, uh, it's going to devastate businesses. So are you going to help businesses? Well, I think the city has done a really good job, and I'll tell you why. And look, there's two, there's two entities here, okay? You've got the national entity and the local entity. Well, I'm a local politician. I take care of my city. Yeah, I know it, yeah. Um, but the health ministry mm. has pressed their decisions. We have to implement. And I think we did a really stellar job, especially in the first round, because we, for example... The government said, and this I think was the right thing to do, we have to separate the sick from the healthy. Mm. How do you do that when people live 10, say 10 people live in a house? Because people have a lot of kids, okay, or live in small apartments. So they said, you know what? If you've got corona and you've got six kids and you're living in an 80 square meter apartment, chances are everybody's going to get corona. And then that's not good. So they opened up these corona hotels. Really? In order to separate the sick from the from the healthy and the mayor implemented this beautifully he set up a command center for languages he convinced people to you know to go into these corona hotels people don't like leaving their homes it was really difficult and i think we did a fantastic job for example welfare packages for everybody the mayor um i was very proud to lead one of the task forces on volunteerism and we had a volunteer per elderly person in the entire city. It was unbelievable. So this is the difference. The laws, uh, the direction is coming from the national government, and we're implementing it. And so schools, for example, I think, to be honest, Israel's done a much better job with online learning than, than England has. Really? I lobbied for the Machane Yehuda market, for the, you know, the iconic market to reopen. It made no sense to me that IKEA was open, okay, and it was open throughout the lockdown, and yet the open-air market, which is iconic to the city, is closed. So I lobbied, the mayor lobbied, and we got it open. I did a whole campaign this summer to try and get local tourism to come to Jerusalem because, of course, the hotels and all the small tourism businesses have been so devastated, and we brought in a voucher system like they did in England, and there's certain things which I don't agree with. For example, they've put all these people on furlough and they've even said, we'll pay furlough till next summer. We'll pay unemployment benefit till next summer. You don't have to worry. Nobody's going to go hungry because we're going to continue all these social benefits. What happens? The businesses reopen and the owners are like, listen, my, my waiters and waitresses don't want to come back because they're only getting a bit less on furlough and they can sit on it at home watching Netflix, why are they going to come back to work? And so they were finding it difficult. So in my sort of, I'm a big free market person. I think that you have to incentivize the businesses. You have to give the money to the businesses to bring back the workers, not the money to the workers that are going to end up staying home. Mm, Yeah, because our furlough over here is ending next month. We're expecting from an economic point of view that it's going to be an absolute disaster. Uh, in terms of corona, we are a couple of weeks behind you. So our numbers are rising. I think most countries are a couple of weeks behind us. I've got to be honest, because we were the first to come out and then we were the first to ease up. And this is basically the, the result of the ease up. 
which led to people, God forbid, leading a semi-normal life. And this is what's happened. It's going to happen in England. It's already happening in France. In Spain, it's happening. It's going to happen again. And God help us for this winter until they find a virus or at least a very efficient treatment. We're in for a bumpy ride. We're in for a bumpy ride. I know that in a future episode, I'm hoping to get you back where we're going to have an extended chat about UAE. But for this one, just a few words on it. For the first time, uh, Israel is making a warm peace with an Arab country. And I'll say for the first time, we have peace with Jordan, thank God, and we have peace with Egypt. That peace that was made with these two countries was absolutely crucial for regional stability. Crucial. But it was never a warm peace. You don't see Jordanian tourists here. You don't see Egyptian tourists here. You don't see business people doing conferences together. That doesn't happen. Maybe it was a, you know, sign of the day. Maybe it's a world which was much less communicative, you know, with no Zooms and no, uh, and no WhatsApps. But, um, but we've never seen like the people to people fruits of that piece. And so people are so excited that even though we were never at war with the UAE, but it was part of the Arab alliance against Israel always was. And so the fact that they're now not just saying we want peace, we want normalization with Israel. We're not going to wait for the Palestinian conflict to be solved because quite frankly, we've had enough of them. They've had plenty of chances and they're still being completely rejectionist and intransigent. Why should we suffer? Now, I'll tell you why this is a great shidduch. It's a great shidduch because the UAE has the largest sovereign wealth fund in the world. They know also that in 20, 30 years, Oil is not going to be the future of, human, of the species. And so the shidduch between Israeli innovation culture, Israeli innovation power, and Emirati a desire to expand into new horizons, and, of course, big capital, I think it's a fantastic, fantastic opportunity for the whole region. I have to say on a personal note that I'm part of a lot of people-to-people forums at the moment as, uh, as the co-founder of this business council. And there's so much thirst, so much thirst and excitement on both sides. It's, I, I mentioned, so, somebody quoted me in an article. I said, it's like we're dating. It really is. It's really exciting. It's exciting. People are so excited. And what do you, what do, you do? And what's Shabbat? And what's your thing? And what's your custom? People are just so excited, and I'm 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 thrilled. Does this mean, Fleur, that we're going to be seeing more embassies opening up in the capital? Well, look, already last week it was announced that Serbia and uh, Kosovo are going to be opening up yeah. um, embassies in the capital, and which I'm thrilled about. This is my portfolio, and I've, and I've uh, I've been handholding the Americans who are building a new embassy, Guatemala, who are already here, Honduras, who opened up a trade office. Australia's opened up a trade office. Something's moving. Now, I don't think the Arab, uh, the United Arab Emirates and Bahrain 
are going to be opening their embassies in Jerusalem. I think that might be way- Even though you've got this amazing deal with the UAE, yeah. Bahrain yeah. and UAE won't do it. I think that that's a step too much for them. And I think eventually everybody will move their, their embassy. I think they don't want to poke the Palestinians too much in the eye. And that it's not justified, of course, because like I said, Palestinians have had so many chances for peace. And I think the only chance we have for peace with the Palestinians is for everybody else to normalize ties with us. And they'll realize that they're on a very high horse and they've got to get down. And that's the bottom line. One final question. I understand your prime minister has gone. Has he gone to uh, America? He's already there. He's in Washington. That's right. That's right. I just wondered, you know, you were talking about the the different, the red zone, the green zone. I do assume that he won't mind which zone he's in as long as it's uh, blue and white. Is that right? <laughs> well, we've got the we've got the different flags. We've got Bahrain, which is white and red, yeah. <laughs> and we've got the uh, the United Arab Emirates. <laughs> so there'll be a lot of colours, and it's going to be extremely exciting. I've got two or three friends who are going, yeah. and I'm excited for them to to. And I'm I'm going to be on different programs tomorrow talking about it. So listen, this is all good. Anything that brings peace and reconciliation in this crazy world that we live in, is only, only good. Fantastic. So with that thought, that we should have a peaceful new year. Amen. Whatever your religion, whatever your belief, whatever your creed, and please God for everyone uh, in terms of the metaphoric explanation of it, next year we'll all be in Jerusalem together. And I look forward to welcome you. <laughs> all right then. Take care and uh, God bless. Shana Shana got an opinion on this show perhaps you would like to share your own story with the world you can dm us or contact reinvent at me.com if you're looking for award-winning world-class content strategy that builds your brand once again simply email reinvent at me.com that's reinvent at me.com